She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. Welcome to the show. We have another jam-packed hour for you. And I got to tell you, I'm super excited about speaking to both of our guests this hour. We're going to speak with Sandra McDowell. She's a candidate for Missouri Statewide Office, the auditor, super important position. And she's more than well qualified to take it over. But we'll hear from her in just a moment. Um, We're also going to speak to Genesis Sanchez, correspondent for Campus Reform, about more violence against students exercising their right to just peaceably talk about issues and we're also going to talk about ted koppel and trump's tv effect and uh, militiamen who are actually headed down to the southern border because they want to supplement the troops that donald trump has ordered to amass there and we also have midterm talking points for pro-trump evangelicals i love this it's by mike brown we're going to talk about that as well Right now, I want to welcome Sandra McDowell to the program. She's a candidate for Missouri Auditor. That election is being held tomorrow. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Stacey. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, I'm happy to talk to you again. Um, you and I first met for the for the first time, which was kind of interesting because I know you've been around doing, you know, you, it's not like your first uh, rodeo in politics in Missouri, but you've, you've been around, I've been around, but our first time meeting was when I moderated a panel for the auditor's race. And it was the primary and there were a wonderful slate of candidates. Uh, Really just, I thought it was such, we had so much talent on our side compared to the other side where they just have someone who's sitting in the office now who we invited on this program, by the way, I have to do a disclaimer here, Sandra, we invited her on the program and she actually emailed us back, which is better than Claire McCaskill did, but she said, no, thank you. So she wouldn't even come on and talk to us. Um, Now you have been on the program and you're back Let's talk about your race. How does it look on the ground in Missouri for the auditor's race? Uh, yeah, I have been on before, and I'm always so excited to come on and talk to uh, talk to everybody I can possibly talk to. And if the other side had asked me on any of their shows, I def- definitely would have been there. In fact, I have been on a lot of the liberal media shows to talk because I think the most important thing is to talk to the people and get and get your message out there. And so that's what I've been doing. And I feel really good. I feel good about tomorrow. I've been all over the state since February, meeting the people, getting my message out there. And you're right. We had some really great, wonderfully qualified candidates running uh, for state auditor. And so I am very honored to be the Republican nominee. And I plan, and I've been telling people this the last several months as well, I plan to take all the ideas from the other candidates and implement those into office as well. I've already talked to Paul Kurtman and Kevin Roach in depth about some of their ideas that they had so that I can uh, so I can make sure and uh, go further with those ideas. And then uh, we'll be also uh, try- reaching out to David Wassinger. His big thing with the office was to bring back trust and transparency to state government. And one of the big things was to audit the auditor's office. And that's my very first thing that I'll do right when I take office in January is audit the auditor's office. Uh, Kevin Roach was really big into modernizing the office. That is definitely something I will be doing. And Paul Kurtman's big deal was making sure that the auditor was at the budget meetings. And I have told everyone, including Paul, I will be at the budget meetings because that is very important that the auditor, uh, you know, the auditor that's auditing the taxpayer funds has uh, has a lot to do with the budget and the budget committee. So I plan on doing as much as I can to to um, go further with the ideas that all of those great, well-qualified candidates put forth. 
And so that was one of the things I loved about that night, that there were so many fantastic ideas and the campaigns were similar in that, you know, you want limited government, you want accountability and transparency, but you each had different ideas for what you thought, this is a deficiency, this is how I would handle it. And the fact that you're willing to take the suggestions that they were making during their campaigns and implement those as a part of your governance, to me, just speaks to the breadth of experience that you bring to this from your time as an attorney. So background on Sandra is she's an Air Force veteran. And then after she separated from the military, she went to school and got her bachelor's and then a degree in the law. Tell us a little bit more about your qualifications. Sure. So I was uh, in the Air Force. I rose to the rank of tech sergeant. And so I was leading other airmen for the last several years while I was in the military. And so I learned a lot of leadership and management experience from there. And then as an attorney, I've uh, practiced at law firms. I've had my own law firm. I started a disability department within a law firm and uh, really within six months had over 500 clients um, and was able to move on to start my own firm after I got them going. And then um, after we had our second set of twins, we decided we should probably get, um, you know, better paying jobs and make sure we have set incomes. At the time we had, we had our own law practice, my husband and myself did. So I went to the attorney general's office and started doing uh, uh, work comp there and then moved over to the Medicaid uh, side of things to look into Medicaid providers who are overbilling the system. So I represented MMAC, which is the Missouri Medicaid Audit and Compliance Unit, and that's all your auditors and investigators. They were my clients, and so they would audit and investigate Medicaid providers who were billing the system. And when they found wrongdoing uh, or any kind of misbilling, then they would make them uh, pay back money or they would suspend them or terminate their provider status. And then the Medicaid providers have appeal rights. And so that's when I would come into the equation as the attorney. I would represent MMAC and make sure that uh, whatever decision MMAC had made would be the one that stood during the appeal. And so I would basically litigate on behalf of NMAC and work with the auditors and investigators. And then whenever I, uh, whenever Secretary Ashcroft came into office, he offered me the job of Director of Enforcement for the Securities Division. So I moved over to the Secretary of State's office and led the entire enforcement section looking into securities fraud. So that's like your investment advisors, your broker-dealers, people that take your hard-earned money and put that into investment products or retirement products. We audited them and investigated them and made sure they were doing what they should be doing. And if not, we made them fix problems or pay back money or prosecuted them if it was fraudulent. So I have a great track record of already bringing back over $10 million in taxpayer funds back to individual Missourians and to Missouri uh, uh, through the Medicaid program. And so I've been doing the same job, really, at the state auditor's office for about the same amount of time. Our current auditor has been the state auditor, Uh, but I've actually been instrumental in finding the fraud and corruption uh, and not just having, uh, you know, law enforcement or someone contact us and let us know that uh, something bad was going on like she's been doing. Tom Schweik was, when, before Galloway was appointed, Tom Schweik was our auditor and he was up to date on all his audits. He was going out and he was uncovering the fraud and the waste and the abuse. And so I want to go back to the way he was doing things and uh, make sure that uh, the audits themselves are being um that the, the audits themselves are being done efficiently and effectively and timely. And I don't believe that's happening right now. So I, I, I wanted you to put it in your own words and share it because I feel like um, some people might feel, you know, and I know this isn't the case here, but I want to get it out of the way that the GOP is just having you as the nominee because you're 
a woman and, you know, we need to do better with women and all of that. And first of all, that is patently false that the GOP does poorly with women. Women do vote for the GOP. Women are uh, intimately interested in things like taxes and the economy. We don't only care about so-called reproductive issues. But there's a little bit more to your story with you have this veterans background, U.S. Air Force. So that means you were highly trained. You were a part of an Air Force unit. You performed well there. Then you came into the private sector. You were also a wife and a mom. So you have a, a full breadth of experience with which to come into this auditor's role. And so I want to piggyback from there. Let's let's talk about this redistricting thing. It's Amendment 1. Now I got a sign in my yard. Full disclosure, I'm against Amendment 1. I want you to explain to the listeners why Amendment 1 is so horrible on the Missouri ballot for Missourians to consider tomorrow. Sure. And I am completely against Amendment 1 as well. I have been from the beginning. Um, They used to call it Clean Missouri. That's what they wanted on the ballot. Uh, And the language was basically restrict lobbyist gifts, uh, limit the amount of time a politician has to wait to become a lobbyist, more campaign contribution limits. And then at the very end, they tapped on redistricting power going to the state auditor's office. Mm -hmm. Now, since that time, what people will see tomorrow on the ballot, um, Secretary Ashcroft did get it moved around a little bit. Uh, Clean Missouri is no longer the name of it. Uh, It is now Amendment 1, and it's the first initiative that you'll see on there. And then redistricting is now at the top, because that really is the main purpose of this initiative, is to give redistricting power to the state auditor's office. And we know that because... Um, the, the, the funding behind an Amendment 1 is all coming from big Democrat organizations. There's George Soros, there's Planned Parenthood, many, many others. The treasurer is the, uh, is the president of the NAACP. So we've got, we see Democrats pushing this initiative. And the only statewide office that is still currently held by a Democrat is the state auditor's office. And uh, it doesn't really make any sense to take an unbiased, uh, procedure that we currently have for redistricting and and should turn it and make it completely biased by putting it in the hands of either a Republican or Democrat under a statewide office like that. Most states around the country that are doing redistricting in a biased way are trying to go to the way that we're doing things, mm-hmm. unbiased. Uh, but but we have here with this initiative that they're trying to actually go the opposite direction. And, and the main reason is so that Democrats can try to get more Democrats in office by redistricting in a way that suits them. And so that's why this is this is uh, on the ballot. That's why they're they're pushing for this. Um, and what it really does, it's so, it's so, it could be so bad for the state of Missouri. Uh, I mean, right away, giving it to the auditor's office, the auditor's office should be very nonpartisan and nonpolitical. In fact, our current auditor even said that at a debate, that she, uh, the only debate that we had, uh, she said that it, it should be, that you should be an independent watchdog, and it's a nonpartisan office. However, she's in favor of clean Missouri, and that clean Missouri, or Amendment 1, if, it, if redistricting were to go to the auditor's office, would immediately politicize an office that we need to keep nonpartisan and nonpolitical, because now people are going to care about who the auditor is because they have mm-hmm. redistricting power, and not because they... Uh, they have a good resume or they're going to do a good job as auditor. And so that's the very first thing. But the second thing is that the, the uh, initiative itself, the whole purpose in the redistricting is to make the district as equal as possible, 50% Republican and 50% Democrat. And so in order to do that, if you know the makeup of Missouri, you know, there's there's pockets of Democrats in certain areas, you know, like St. Louis has a huge uh, Democrat population. Kansas City does. There's some in Springfield and some around Columbia. And so in order to make every district in the state of Missouri 
as equal as possible, 50% Republican and 50% Democrat. You're going to have to pull those uh, those areas that are highly Democrat out into like mid-Missouri and down into the boot hill. And, and, and it's going to do so many bad things for the state. One thing is that representatives in those districts will not be able to fully represent all the people within the district if the districts are spread out and look kind of like noodles in different shapes because mm-hmm. there are going to be so many different types of people in that district. And second, the communities are not going to be represented anymore because the, because the population is going to be spread out where, uh, where the communities themselves are not going to represent a district. It's going to be, um, you know, kind of shaped out where the Democrats are pulled into the other Republican areas. And so that's basically be like a, a, someone in northern Missouri, someone, so someone in the very north part of Missouri that maybe lives on a, a vineyard and it would be, also a constituent with the same representative of someone who lives in the inner city of St. Louis and then someone who lives in like the middle of Missouri in a rural area or a small town and then someone else who lives in the boot heel, they would all be in the same district because when you say a noodle, you literally mean like take a spaghetti noodle and cook it and you can move it around so you can make it straight or you can kind of curve it and they would lay that kind of noodle shape on the map and get an mm-hmm. equal number of Democrats and Republicans, thereby disenfranchising most of the Republicans, because right now Democrats can't win statewide. They can't do a lot here because there aren't enough of them. And so they want to basically mm-hmm. take away the representation of Republicans. So do I do I have that kind of the noodle thing oh, right? Com- completely correct. And it's going to disenfranchise the minority voters as well, because currently in the areas where there's you know, high either uh, African-Americans or uh, or any other minority, um, they're currently represented by someone that they've chosen to represent them. Well, whenever you do this kind of gerrymandering is what it is, um, they're going to lose that representation that they have. And so we have a lot of African-American Democrats that have come out against this because they now realize what it's going to do. And it is, it's very bad for everybody. So I, I appreciate you coming on today um, and, and sharing all of that with us. And I encourage everyone to check out Nicole Galloway's platform. Check out her website. I've been there. I always do this. If I'm voting, I look at both sides. Check out all of the information, especially for Sandra McDowell. Make your choice after you pray and think over exactly what which person would be best for you to vote for. And um, Sandra, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. And Stacey, I really, I just want to say that is a great point. Please pray about who you're voting for, because I truly believe God will give you the answer to that. Uh, And so I I thank you for saying that, Stacey. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for your time today, Sandra. All right. Fantastic to speak with you. We'll be back with Genesis Sanchez, correspondent for Campus Reform, right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the popularity of our spiritual heritage tours each year continues to grow. Those are our tours to Washington, D.C., Mount Vernon, Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. Those are two separate trips, but uh, a lot of folks go on both of them. But the popularity continues to grow, and we sell out two or three months in advance every year. So we're letting you know when our June and September tours are. Just go to our website, spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com. There's two tours. There's one to Williamsburg, Jamestown, and Yorktown. 
and then there's a separate trip, but they're back to back to Washington, D.C. and to George Washington's Mount Vernon. So if you want to go on those tours with us, just go to the website spiritualheritagetours.com, spiritualheritagetours.com, and check out all the info. Up next, Carol Swain with two minutes to think about it. From poverty to professor, from GED to PhD, a bold Christian speaking truth to power. Here's Carol with today's two minutes. If you've been listening lately, you've heard me talking about midterm elections, how they generally have lower voter turnout than presidential election years, and those who don't vote relinquish the right to complain about the government they get. It is, after all, the government they deserve. There are just too many important issues at stake in this midterm election to stay home and not vote or to vote without being informed on those issues and where the candidates on your ballot stand. You may have seen that TV ads where they accuse each other of everything short of mass murder and wearing white shoes after Labor Day. But what do they really believe about immigration, taxes, your basic constitutional rights, and so on? The people we send to Congress make decisions that affect every area of our lives for generations to come. And some, once passed, are almost impossible to rescind. Your vote in a few days, will impact the future of your grandchildren. You may say my senator or congressman's not important. What's the big deal voting for against them? They may not be, but they are a vote in the House or Senate, and they make up the distribution of those bodies. If you don't want some of those jokesters you see on TV holding real power, then vote to stop it. So now you know. You are responsible for your country, for today, and for its future. So go vote. To learn more about Carol and the Carol Swing Foundation, visit carolmswing.net. And make sure you follow her on Facebook at Professor Carol M. Swing and on Twitter at Carol M. Swing. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome to the program. Glad to have you here today. Happy Monday. It's all rainy and gloomy here in in Missouri, but you know what? It's a perfect day to make soup for dinner. It's a perfect day to crank up the fireplace. And it's a perfect day to kind of keep things calm and mellow because it's kind of a gloomy, rainy day here. And that's a part of fall. And I really enjoy the changing seasons. I was walking with one of the kids down our, our little street here talking about how wonderful it is that God gives us changes of seasons. <laughs> and that's something that's unique to people in the middle of the country in the South. Obviously, you know, in Florida, they don't have as much of a changing season thing. I at least still live in Florida, I know. Um, but it is beautiful to be able to see the seasons change. So just the minute you get sick of everything being so, so hot, then it's fall. And the minute you get sick of all the rain and the, the leaves falling and all that kind of work, then it's winter. And the minute you get tired of it being simply cold, it's snowing. And then before you get tired of all that, it's spring and everything's pushing up through the ground and it's time to start getting your garden working. So uh, really good for us to have all of those changes. It keeps us busy and, and stimulates our creative centers. And I love that. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Genesis Sanchez. She's a correspondent for Campus Reform. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. So let's talk about this story. 
Um, first of all, tell us what happened. And, and we already, we've had campus reform folks on before. Um, we love the work that you do on campuses across the country. It's really needed. Um, so tell us what's going on now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my best friend Daisy had uh, chocolate milk thrown on her last Tuesday while tabling with college Republicans at Florida State University. Um, they were out there tabling for the midterm elections that are tomorrow. And um, an enraged student came up and totally lost her mind and had a breakdown. So it's just been a crazy, crazy week. So I... Again, I, I, I know you don't know why specifically, but why the chocolate milk? Why, why the assault? <laughs> if you're just sitting there, you know, it's not like your friend went up to this person and said, you better vote for X or Y. There was no previous interaction. It's just, hey, I can't believe you're sitting there doing that. And then the dumping of the liquid. Correct. So, yeah, uh, the college Republicans were just out there tabling, you know, as students walk by, they'd be like, hey, are you registered to vote? Are you registered? Are you uh, going to get out and vote on Tuesday? Um, it was that kind of thing. So it wasn't even like a personal, like a personal greeting. It was very, very a broad statement. And um, so Shelby just did not, uh, Shelby is the one that poured the chocolate milk. Shelby was just not having a good day. But I don't have a good day sometimes. Um, Genesis, I, there are a lot of days where i my frustration reaches its upper limits and I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm being treated fairly. It happens sometimes in circumstances that where I'm, I'm by myself and I get frustrated, but it also happens in public places where I'll be somewhere in public and I'll think, why are you? And then, and the mint and the, I can, you can feel yourself, you know how it feels, you, you start getting warm. You're like, I'm, I'm angry. I can't believe that that person just did this, this or that at that point. Is it okay for me to pull some chocolate milk out of my purse and start dumping it on people? I mean, what what are my options? Because it seems like all the leftists and Antifa, they get to beat people with clubs. They get to punch people. They get to sucker punch people. They get to scream in people's faces. They get to vent their anger at any moment without any real warning. Meanwhile, I'm just standing around and I could get mad and I'm not doing anything. Am I missing my chance? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, I just think that the leftist mentality nowadays is to just argue with, you know, as many Republicans as they can and do it however, you know, they see the means to. Uh, the left nowadays just hates President Trump so much they will not stop at literally anything to, you know, push their push their agenda out on others. And it's absolutely insane what has become. Uh, so, and uh- what was the reaction of the other students who were nearby? Because when you say tabling, you mean you set up one of those like Sam's Club plastic tables where you don't even have, you just pop, pop, two legs are up. You sit down with your, your two chairs and you start talking to people. Um, and, and it's something you do. You do it for an hour. You can do it for six hours. It's up to you. You're just talking to people. You're influencing their vote, sure. But if a person doesn't want to talk to you, they can simply keep walking and they've not been harmed at all. But if they want to talk, you're, you're ready to talk. So you're doing that. What's the reaction from everyone around when, you know, the one lady comes with the chocolate milk and gets to assaulting, you know, your friend? What happens with the others? Absolutely. So when that, ha- um, when that happened, um, you know, everyone was quick to get out their phones, uh, which is awesome because 
Um, they always say that if you don't have a video or a picture of it, it didn't happen. So thankfully, a student was able to grab this, grab this on video and um, share it with uh, everyone. And him doing that was um, absolutely imperative for the situation. Um, this isn't the first time that um, college students on campuses have been, you know, attacked for being Republican or conservative. I feel like this are under attack every single day, and um, maybe not so much a screaming activity, but it might be the liberal indoctrination in our in our classrooms. So it's very imperative to, um, you know, kind of get this get this kind of thing out so it opens people's eyes. Absolutely. Yeah, I I mean, you know, all joking aside, obviously, I, I like being free. I like being unencumbered by the law. So that's why I keep my cool. But why don't other people feel a, a sense of fear of, you know, actually being arrested or being, you know, held accountable for these actions? Oh, I'm not sure if we still have Genesis. Hi, I'm still here. Oh. Okay, sorry. Um, so why don't people feel like they there there's a, a sense of hey the the law might come down on me if I do this? Um, you know that's a good question, and I think that people are just you know I don't know I just I just think that she just got so upset that she really wasn't thinking of the consequences. Um, but you know, like you said earlier, I don't wake up and when I'm mad, I don't go throw chocolate milk on or, you know, hit others. I kind of just feel a fit in a way that's more sensible. And honestly, I don't think Shelby's a bad person. Yeah, I might think her policies are, are trash that she believes in, but I think she just really, you know, had a, just had a bad day. Yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm noticing kind of a trend, Genesis, where the bad days seem to happen exclusively to people who are on the left side of the political aisle um, it's a rarity that you see a person on the right striking the first punch or doing the first, you know, yelling, screaming, finger pointing. I can tell you how many times I have had someone come up to me after a speaking engagement who's a leftist and put their finger within just like a couple of like literally they're just jabbing their finger. and It looks like it's going to go right into my eye. And I'm six feet, two inches tall. And you would think they would think, you know, she's always talking about how she owns guns and how she's prepared to defend herself. But they've got their finger right in my face. And then when I say, you know what, we're done. I'm not engaging you any further. They'll say, well, you haven't answered my question or I haven't had a chance to tell you what I want to tell you. And I'll say, no, you got to get your fingers out of my face and you have to back up, back your body away from my body and get out of my personal space. And I'm done talking to you because you're not civil. And then they get really insulted and you can see them. The Mm -hmm. shoulders slump down. They're like, oh, well, I, I just wanted to. And I'm like, no, we're done. You can't put your fingers in my face much longer without mm-hmm. there being some kind of, you know, reaction. And you don't want this. Mm-hmm. You don't want me to react. And this is something I'm telling you, I, I'm always surprised when it happens because it would never occur to me in a political discussion to walk up to a stranger and put my finger in their face. It just would not occur to me. But leftists do it on the regular. They always have their fingers in someone's face. Absolutely. I don't get it. It's just it's just a blatant disregard for um, you know other viewpoints. Um, obviously, any member of the FSU College Republicans would have had a very civil conversation with her. Would have loved to uh, you know talk about um, her candidate's uh, positions because she is an intern for Andrew Gillum, or um, 
talk about, you know, Ron DeSantis' opinion on being pro-life, being pro-Second Amendment, being pro-Israel. But she didn't want to do that. She just wanted to yell and scream. And, you know, it just shows what leftists are doing nowadays and what they find is acceptable. What I want to do is I want to have, you know, I want to have people on the right be able to continue to engage in the public sphere without having, you know, their clothes ruined by, you know, chocolate milk dumpers and things like that. And I want people who do this kind of stuff to be held accountable. And I, I feel like, you know, we're just walking targets and they seem to have all of the, like they have all the chutzpah. It's like the bully that you see in elementary school who runs around bullying everybody. And then a new kid comes to town and that kid is not going to be bullied. And the first time the bully you know, puts the kid in a chokehold or something, that kid slams him to the ground or punches him in the face. And then all of a sudden the bully is in a crumple on the floor crying. And all of the other kids realize, oh my goodness, this kid has never really been tough. He's just, a, he's just a whole lot of mouth. We could have defended okay. ourselves. And then that the new kid is like a hero because he just basically, you know, ripped the scary monster mask off of the bully. And you, it's just a, you know, a really mean kid. I feel like we're in that situation as conservatives where we allow these people to really assault us and bully us and do everything else. And we're the ones who we own all the guns. We we have all the preparation materials. We're the ones who prep and store canned goods. We we know how to start a fire with nothing but a piece of lint out of our pocket and and our brain. Mm -hmm. We are the ones who know all this stuff. But we let them push us around. Absolutely. Um, I am in college, and I literally wear, like, my Rick Stopper Senate shirt. I wear my Trump 2020 shirt, <laughs> Trump 2016. I wear that stuff all the time, and um, I always get kind of a mixed reaction. I get always, like, uh, wow, that's awesome. I can't believe there's other conservatives on this campus. Or I usually get the comment, you know, um, why, how can you support Donald Trump? He's done so, so much wrong. You know, it's always a mixed opinion, but I also I always love when the students that are like, I'm not sure why you're wearing that, or, um, you know, they're also like closet conservatives. Um, when they come out and they're like, thank you so much. Like, it's so nice to know that there's other conservatives on this campus. It's so sad to me that, you know, students are under attack every single day for literally just believing in smaller government, um, low taxes. Nothing really that exciting, if you think about it. (laughs) You're in trouble for believing in stuff that is really not exciting at all. It's not controversial to think that the government should be smaller. With 24 million employees, if you think it should be smaller, you're not really in the minority. Even some Democrats believe that. Um, A lot of the stuff that you just listed off, which I totally believe in, is just kind of common sense stuff. And if you don't believe in it, that's also your business. Like no one's saying you have to believe, but the idea that you can't even talk about it and wearing like you are brave to be running around in the shirts because I know a lot of people, that's the impetus for them getting a drink dumped on them is just wearing a Trump 2020 shirt or a Make America Great Again hat, something like that. Um, I'm just glad you guys are doing what you're doing at Campus Reform. Give us the website, uh, campusreform.org actually, campusreform.org. That's where you can find this story. And more. Um, and what about the Twitter feed? Oh, I'm sorry. What is I missed the, the, the last Twitter part. feed? You What's your out. Twitter feed for campus reform? Oh, um, just campus reform. 
So at Campus Reform on Twitter, campusreform.org on the web. Thank you so much, Genesis Sanchez, correspondent for Campus Reform, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Talk to you again soon. So I want to give a little bit of information here. And we have just a couple minutes left in this segment. I want to use it to the utmost of our ability. And we're going to have audio and calls next segment. If, if um, you've been waiting and chomping at the bit to comment on anything in the show so far today, The call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. We've got a couple of bits of audio about this poll worker fighting a dead neighbor on the active voter list in Ohio, which goes to show you that the the voter rolls are not perfect. So the idea that we don't need to have any maintenance on those is ridiculous. Um, We'll get to that in just a sec. So if you claim to be an evangelical and plan to vote red on Tuesday, in other words, you're pro-Trump, your faith will be assaulted and your integrity will be challenged. Now, I've, I've already experienced this. I've had people tell me, well, you know, from people who support infanticide and abortion up until the ninth month, I've had people say to me, well, you're obviously bigoted and, you know, you basically are like the equivalent of someone who supported Hitler back when he was alive. And then I'll say, but you're for abortion, right? And abortion is destroying 40% of the black community. And then they get really mad. And then that's when I say, yeah, you're a limousine liberal. You believe that my kids should go to an inner city school with no AC because I'm black while your kids are in private school. And you think I am like Hitler? Oh, that shuts them up quick. But let's go back to the nice way of doing things. Here are the talking points given by Mike Brown, pastor and just all around fantastic individual. He says there's some useful talking points you can use when interacting with friends, family, coworkers, and critics. And here's one of them. The first one, Donald Trump is not my savior. He didn't die for my sins. I don't owe him my life. Um, you know, it's it's. If you think Donald Trump is your savior, then you have issues. But I don't believe anybody in this listening audience thinks like that. Um, Donald Trump is the president. He's my president. He got my vote, but I don't worship at his altar. And these are all in the first person. So you can read them and kind of incorporate them, not word for word, but into what you would say as a response. And I know this is needed because a lot of people are like me, where your family is mostly comprised of Democrats and you're like a little unicorn sitting there voting for Republicans and you have every right to do so. I voted for him because he's pro-life and he exceeded my expectations. Not only has he appointed two solid justices to the Supreme Court, but he's appointed scores of pro-life justices to the federal courts and passed pro-life legislation. What would Hillary have done? It's a good question. So I'll give you the rest of these talking points off this list and more when we get back. You stay right there. Stacey on the right.
Capital One commercial will forever be etched in the ear of the listener. What's in your wallet is a phrase that won't easily be forgotten. But this is not a Capital One plug. I want you to think about the people that are in your circle of influence. Who's in your circle is my new catchphrase. Simply because we don't think enough about the people or spirits that we allow into our personal space. Negativity is contagious and fatal. Misery loves company and it's fatal to your hopes and dreams. I think we all know someone who, no matter what good has happened, always has something negative to say. Ugh, that really bothers me. That bad attitude and that pessimistic spirit will only cause you to do the same. There's no room for doubt, especially if you're believing God to bring that vision to fruition. Now, this is not a license for you to be mean. It is, however, a license for you to assess who's in your circle and make the necessary adjustments. With the Heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's urban woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at urbanfamilytalk.com. Listen to Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on Urban Family Talk. She's sharp. I mean, did you hear that? Pointed. Remember that you're not only a Christian on Sunday. And insightful. Deception and lies have been accepted as the norm from the Democrats. But most of all, she's on the right. That scripture from the Bible that says the heart of the fool inclines to the left just kept popping into my mind. Stacy on the Right. Now heard weekday afternoons from 2 to 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So what are you clothing yourself with? Whether we realize it or not, what we allow in our temples affects our way of living. We can't feed ourselves junk and expect to hear from the Lord. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of God at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. A caravan of 3,000 migrants in Honduras plans to travel north to cross our southern border. This alarming development prompted President Donald Trump to threaten to deploy U.S. troops. Predictably, the New York Times has written a piece entitled, What is the Caravan and Why Does Trump Care? Because 3,000 people surging across our border is an invasion. Liberals often point to Deuteronomy 10:19, a Bible verse about being kind to foreigners. But the Bible differentiates between a sojourner, a legal immigrant, and a foreigner or an illegal immigrant. One has rights and privileges the lawbreaker does not have. Specifically, Romans 13:4 says, "For government is a minister to God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil." Let's be careful to interpret scripture correctly as God never sanctions lawbreaking. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. No, I, I don't think it will only be Kavanaugh. If, if, if um, you know, I, I certainly plan to win. Um, if I lose, um, I think it'll just be because um, you know the, the national Democratic brand is a problem in general for me, um, and uh, it will be because I haven't succeeded in you know making the case you know well enough that uh, that I'm different enough from that to be uh, you know to be to be considered. Um, I think my party, the Democratic Party is at its best when it sort of, you know, gets gets out of this elitist stuff and just gets back to being a strong, muscular party that's really focused on opportunity for working class and middle class Americans. And I think you can do a lot of stuff in a halo around that, but I think that's got to be the core of the party. Uh, and that was 
Phil Bradenson. He's running for office, and it's it's kind of sad to hear him um, almost uh, sadly lamenting the end of what he sees as Democrats advocating for. Um, you know, kind of centrist policies or at the very minimum for people who are working class and middle class. And, you know, a lot of people use those terms so much in in campaign literature, et cetera. But policies that increase government intervention, policies that increase taxes, those aren't for working class people. Those are policies that increase the debt load for all Americans and take away the kind of, you know, uh, it's like, the drive that you have to improve your life for yourself. If you're getting a check from the government and if you make a little bit more money at work, the check goes away, then that's that's something that's going to keep you, you have to make a decision. Well, if they're going to give me a raise, but it's only a little bit and it's a wash, I'd rather get that free money. Now, there are people out there, and God bless them, who they see that the raise gets rid of that. They're like, well, I'm going to have to work really hard and get that raise plus some more because I don't want anything from the government. This is a temporary situation for me. But for families who have been in that generational poverty and that generational government assistance, that is where we're hurting them. And again, who wants to be held accountable for that? Who wants to be held accountable for voting positively to continue to have people shackled to the government? I don't. And I don't, I don't want to be trying to explain that, right? I don't want to be trying to explain that. On, on, I just, that's not something I'm in favor of. And I've seen too many people, oh, I love it so much when someone says, oh, you know what? I, you probably don't know this, but I used to, you know, I used to, I, either, you know, they had a loss in the family or they, had, they lost their job. They don't have family that can support them. And so they, you know, temporarily had to go on assistance from the government. And you can see it in their face. They'll say, I just, I hated it. I hated every minute of it, but I needed it at the time. And then as soon as I was able, as soon as my, you know, I was, I was no longer disabled and I could get up and around, I found a job and I started working and I started getting, and I got back on my feet. Or the pride in people who are coming from where they're getting housing assistance and they go from that to renting their own place and then owning their own place. Or they go straight from that to owning their own place. There's nothing like it. You won't find a piece of trash blowing on their entire street because they will not allow trash to blow in a place where they own. They are taking care of their home. And and it's not that their home is a mansion, but it's well kept and it is their home. They put their stamp on it, paint the mailbox, paint the front door, and it's their home. There's nothing like it. And, And that is godly. The reason why you have such a strong desire to care for your your dwelling when you own it is that. It is, it's, it's stewardship. Stewardship done right feels amazing. And that's what we want. That is what we are made for. Tending the garden is our primary duty left here on this, on this planet until the Lord returns. And that doesn't just mean the garden garden. It doesn't just mean the grass and the trees and the animals and, and you know, the farming and all of that. It also means caring for our civic duties. All of it will be held accountable for all of it. So now I want to listen to this. Uh, you've got this poll worker. She finds. So first of all, she's a regular person. But when the polls, when it's election time, she goes and she works the polls. And if you are not, if you're a Republican and you've, you've not done this, you should consider doing it. It's a long day. You start at like six in the morning and you're not done until like eight or nine o'clock at night. But the good news is you're there to help at the polls and you can add that oversight. 
and you get paid to do it. It's not a ton of money, but it, you do get paid to perform this civic duty. And the Republicans typically have fewer poll workers, um, especially the closer in you get. It's fewer Republicans working the polls than it is Democrats. So can definitely consider doing that. Um, so this lady, when it's election season, she works the polls. And when she's working the polls, she notices that her neighbor, who died about six years before, was still on the rolls. And so she reported it. Here's a little news uh, package on that. It's number three. So it was initially when we had the signature poll books that I became aware that my neighbor was still on, on the rolls. Uh, and then after it had been on so long, I became curious about it. Zagoda claims her next-door neighbor, who died back in 2004, showed up as an eligible voter for 14 years. She says she contacted the Hamilton County Board of Elections and was told that a family member needed to turn in a death certificate to have that person removed. I'm concerned that by someone being on the rolls, they, someone could improperly vote in their name. I took her concerns right to the Hamilton County Board of Elections. Since this has been brought to our attention, we've done a little more research and we've been able to obtain some more identifying information and, and that person has, has now been canceled. That's Sherry Poland. She's the director of the Hamilton County Board of Elections. She says the state and county does a very good job removing deceased voters from the rolls. So I didn't really, I didn't leave the rest of that audio on there for us to listen to because the person who's working the polls, you know, God bless her. She's probably a really great person and wonderful to have coffee with. But she went on to say that she didn't think there were very many other instances of this um, where people are still on the rolls, but they've been deceased. But then she went on to describe that there are se at least 700 some odd people on there who don't have complete information because of different reasons. So clearly they have a problem with the accuracy of their voter rolls. And she's sitting up there kind of, you know, kind of basically smooth. Well, it's, it's not really bad. I mean, it's just this one. And, you know, have you ever had someone, have you, has anyone ever seen someone who just had one flake of dandruff or, you know, I mean, come on, it's, it just don't, don't play these games with us. We are grownups. We're all grownups here. You got to clean your rolls up. Just, just do it. Just clean your rolls up. Um, so now I want to go to Ted Koppel. He's on this panel, you know, where they invite famous people to sit on the panel and they're in a chair and they're kind of turned to the side speaking to the moderator. And they kind of in that comfortable setting on a stage in front of 300 people or, or more, they tend to kind of get a little more real. You know, they're more real than when they're got their mic'd up and they have their little teensy little, you know, button mic and they're they're in front of the camera and they're doing teleprompter and whatever. They're much more formal. But in these settings, they tend to, you know, it, it's almost like Ted Koppel unleashed. So he starts talking about the Trump TV effect. And I'd forgotten about this, that the people on CNN had actually admitted this. This is a kind of an interesting clip because um, he's got a, there's a bunch of people on the panel. And, and one of them is Brian Stelter from CNN. And Brian Stelter was just not having Ted Koppel and his truth telling today. It's number one. Money, 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 money. Donald Trump has been very, very good for baseball. He has been wonderful for the industry. Your boss acknowledged as much a number of number of months ago during the campaign. Les Donald Trump, was, huh? It was Les Moonves who acknowledged Les it. Les Moonves also <laughs> acknowledged it, but so did the head of CNN. But that means that, what? That, if ratings mean, are up, that means what? That, oh, the ratings are up. It means you can't do without Donald Trump. 
you would be lost without Donald Trump. <laughs> well, that's what he says. Hold on just a second. CNN's ratings would be in the toilet without Donald Trump. You know that's not true. You're, you're playing for laughs. You've lived through enough presidencies to know Hold on a there second, will be more Brian. presidents. What were the ratings before Trump and what are the ratings now? I would say uh, we might be up 20, we might be up 30%, we might be up 40%. If we go back down 40%, that's okay too. Uh, well, it may not be okay. Of course it is. I reject the premise that these networks are making so much money off of Trump and thus we, we benefit from uh, it. I, tell me for a moment, if you will, let's get away from CNN then, all right? Sensitive subject. No. Let's go to MSNBC. Is there a moment of the day when they are not focusing on Donald Trump or some intimately related subject? So if you, yes, he's right. And no, there isn't. There is not an hour in which they do not say bad things about Donald Trump. And they admitted, they said what, what he's referring to, what Ted Koppel is referring to is at one point, Les Moonves said that we noticed because we had some people complain, we're tired of the constant wall to wall Donald Trump coverage. The election is over. We should be able to have some news that is not only Donald Trump. And so they tried it. They, they went back to their regular news operation and they covered the president in the way that most news operations used to cover the presidency, which is you sometimes talk about the president when he issues a proclamation or he signs something into law or he makes a major speech or visits a country. You mention it. It's not your whole segment. It's not even a whole. It's like basically what they call a package where the anchors started off. They go to someone who's reporting in the field. That person presents their news and information, and then they kick, they throw it back to the home studio. The people at the home studio wrap it up. Someone cracks a joke. They segue to the next thing. Weather, anything. They're, they're moving away from the subject. It is a small news item. That is the way the presidency used to be carried now or covered. Now you've got Donald Trump. And they said they noticed because they have the ratings Every single minute of the day, they, they do the ratings in increments for so many minutes represents an increment, a, a measurement of time that they can pull a ratings number for. Then they have blocks. They have segments. If you think Republicans like data and analysis, you have met any TV time crunchers. They have to have those numbers so they can sell the blocks they sell them in, in uh, advertising blocks. How many hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people are watching this show during this block of time? And what age are they? And then they tell Tide or Procter & Gamble or Nestle. They'll say this many millions of people in the age demographic you're looking for, dog owners, people who live in a suburban house or, li or own their own dwelling, make this much money a year. How many of those are watching the show during this time? This many. And then they will sell the ad time so that when the person kicks it to the advertising mo segment, you've got Tide, you've got Procter & Gamble, you've got Lexus, you've got Acura, whatever. They care. They care if you're watching. So if they have to do wall-to-wall -wall nonstop, we hate Donald Trump coverage to keep a certain number of people in a cer certain age bracket looking at the screen so they can sell advertising, then that's what they're going to do. I mean, it's, it's so simple. I don't even understand why Brian Selter was arguing about it. Like, he, like, we don't know these things. Like, we can't figure out. You can go look it up online and learn how they sell advertising blocks and what companies do it, what marketing companies do it. You can, you can find all of this stuff out. This is the internet age. There's no reason for us to believe Brian Stelter when we can just look it up for ourselves. Anyway, 
Let's go to the phones. Caesar in Mississippi. Caesar, thank you for calling the show today. Hey, Stacy. I just want to say um, thank you for the last few months that you've been uh, a good, good side of wisdom for us to just, you know, keep our fo- focus on God and how we vote for this midterm. Uh, for me and my wife, this will be our first midterm voting, and mm-hmm. you guys at Urban Family Talk and uh, AFR have just been just a, like a wealth of knowledge for us and just keeping our eyes on, you know, on God the prize, on Jesus the prize first, but then using that wisdom to, you know, make our decision to vote. Um, Thank but, you. It's, it, I'm, yeah, I've just, really <laughs> been praying about it because I'm, I'm, my tendency is, you know, fire and brimstone and all of that. And I've really been feeling like, yeah, that's great. It makes for great radio too. You get good little audio clips mm-hmm. out of it. But the truth is people are really hungry for, um, pe- we all need encouraging and we all really need to know the truth so that we can make wise choices. And that's just what yeah. I've been shooting for. And it's good to hear that, that, you know, it's, it's making the mark somehow. I want, I want to have a good program here and for it to be useful and for people to feel uplifted, you know, laugh a little, get outraged by the bad news, but knowing right. in the end we win. We, if you go through the revelation, you know we like, win. <laughs> man, we've been, we, we, we listen to the shows and we just choose what we listen to and we don't have cable no more, but when we get a chance, we like watch some of the campaigns going on and just strictly the campaign but me and the wife went out for lunch during work one time and they had CNN on and just oh. like watching the, <laughs> the titling and stuff. It just wasn't made me it something. Mad. It was oh. like deplorable Trump doing this despicable mm-hmm. Trump doing this. And it's like, you know what? I just want you guys to give me the facts. I think you said it um, a day or two ago, like CNN used to be respectable. Oh, it was CNN, like my dad went to the Gulf war. And I remember watching CNN, what getting updates on the war mm-hmm. and stuff. Nowadays, it's just like, oh, hate Trump. You Trump. used to be oh, able to turn CNN died. on. Oh, blame Trump. <laughs> yeah, Caesar, you're you hit the nail on the head. You used to be able to turn CNN on and see them. Their reporters would be on the ground in the sand reporting mm-hmm. from that war. I remember that. Now it's nothing but hate Donald Trump. You thank you so much for listening and for calling the show today. Um, really great to hear from you and God bless tomorrow with the voting um, for you and your wife. Thank you, Caesar. Thank you for listening to the show. Citizens, I ask you, what more can you do tonight than pray for our elections, pray for revival and pray for the truth to break in and break out in every house, in every mind, that the scales would be removed from our eyes and we would be able to see the truth and vote to please our Father in heaven tomorrow. Good night. God bless from the heartland. Be back with you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association. Urban Family Talk. Urban Family Talk.